0: So, hey everyone, today on How I Scale My Team, we're really happy and a bit honored uh, to host Elon Reshef, co founder and chief product officer at Gong. So, hey Elon, very happy that you're here.
1: Hello, thanks for
2: inviting me.
0: Of course, it's a pleasure.
2: Uh, it's the first time I meet Elon. I kept hearing the name. By the way, Elon's brother works at Fiverr and uh, we chat on a regular basis. Uh, but Elon and I never met before, so it's, it's uh, fun to finally meet you. Same here.
0: So, you know, Gong uh, is master at maximizing customer and employee happiness, and you're all about it. So we're uh, kind of, uh, we're going to make it a happy, a happy recording, a happy podcast, show. Let's start with you telling us a little bit about yourself, a few sentences about what you've done uh, before co-founding Gong and maybe, you know, for people that don't know, touch on the Gongsters, uh, who are they?
1: Sure. So I've been in the software industry for many years, uh, probably more than I would like to admit. Um, but more, most recently, I had a previous at another startup company called Web Collage, which was not so successful. So I always recommend to people to start with a second one; it's much easier. And ran it for more than ten years, and then uh, six and a half years ago, we started Gong, um, in, in a SaaS company, in the uh, providing solutions for revenue teams. It's getting pretty fast. So um, right now, it's uh, July 2022. Gong is, I think, over 1,200 people. Uh, so pretty fast.
2: It has been a tremendous growth. I mean, you guys have been around six years. Um, do you mind telling the, the the audience where Gong's got started? I doubt people don't know it, but you know, but we live in such a tight community that we assume that um, everyone that's listening knows everything that we do. I assume there are some people that don't really know what Gong is doing. <laughs>
1: So um, Gong now is providing a a platform that we we think of it as sort of the most valuable platform for revenue organizations. This is where salespeople, managers, and executives in the revenue go to market space, spend most of their time. Uh, We started with the understanding that revenue organizations live in a black hole where they don't see, they don't understand what's going on in, in, in the organizations. And that's because the assumption was people are gonna record everything that they do inside the CRM system, type everything in. And in practice, of course, they don't do this. Uh, and we switch it around, so we basically said, let's autonomously collect all the different information, record calls, pick emails, pick calendar meetings, and then uh, let people make business. Dec- and then using uh, understanding the AI and whatnot, understand what's going on in the conversations, what topics, what action items, and so on come up, and then uh, make it available for everybody in the organization to consume and make business decisions based off. So, uh, do things like forecasting and uh, next best next step and coaching and
2: many other things that are just have been done very uh, without data essentially. You know, When you speak through it, it sounds almost like a no-brainer. Of course, simple, makes sense. But however Gong is, uh, for those who don't know, uh, I think one, if not the most uh, valuable private company in Israel today, tech company, uh, which is insane to think that you've been around for about seven years. Uh, so uh, congrats on that success. And a lot of it has to do with you know how you build the organization beyond the the idea. And so in the early days, I don't know, circa 2015, 2016, uh, you hired a lot of people, you grew very fast. Um, how do you do that? How do you move so fast in, uh, in an industry that's competing for talent? Um, how do you hire people so fast? How do you manage the transition from, you know, hiring the first, you know, 10, 20 people to hiring the first 200 people? Uh, what has changed in your process to allow you to move from, what was it, uh, 10 or 20 people six or seven years ago to 1,200 people today? Um, that's, that's phenomenal.
1: Yeah, thanks. And, and, and I, I think there's probably a couple of keys. Uh, one of them is don't hire fast. So I think it looks fast, but actually over the years, what we try to do is not, is hire responsibly. So um, we don't just like hire people and, and, and count the numbers and like uh, we keep the bar very high. At least we try to keep the bar high. And we'd rather not hire than just hire fast. And also we wouldn't hire if we didn't know that the person has a way to onboard and be effective within a reasonable time frame. So we did pace our growth and uh, make sense in terms of people hiring. So it's fast, but... In theory, we could have grown faster. I mean, I don't know that we could have, but with this, we could have tried. Um, and I think another key is um, when you when you're small, you're like a small tribe. Everybody knows everybody. You know, right right now, I already don't know all of the people living in Israel, let alone in in, in Gong US. Um, but um, initially, you, you know everybody, and sort of it's like it, it's it's a contagious type of behavior. What people call culture. I think at some stage, when it becomes 60, 100 people, it doesn't matter when and uh, well, I I, I think you should be doing and what we've done is essentially try to codify some of the behaviors into operating principles. So for us, it's things like raving fans, make sure that customers, but also employees are raving fans of the company, uh, uh, make make, make longer term decisions. At the same time, act fast, don't wait for like uh, over uh, agreement between different people. And many other things enjoy the ride, which is kind of not usually taken for granted. So we put like eight of those together and that really helps us when we bring people, make sure that they're A, compatible, B, align them at least at the very broad strokes to become how the company wants to operate internally.
2: There are two camps when it comes to hiring people in in growing startups. A, you know, the founding team interviews everyone. Uh, Google had that for many, many years. like, you know, uh, Sergey and Larry interviewed everyone, reviewed everyone offers. Um, And there's a camp that says, you know, I hire strong people. I trust them to make the decision. I don't need everybody. I'm not the gatekeeper. Which camp are you on?
1: More of the first, but I, I, it's, I think it really depends. So I think first of all, uh, you have to uh, build. I think you have to build like a hiring um, process that, that actually ma- ma- makes sense. So, like I might hire, I might inter- interview somebody, but very, very late in a very, very late stage these days. Um, I don't interview everybody, but most people very late stage, and so I trust the people to make the right judgment call um, in 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 the hiring process uh, up until that time. Um, I, I, I think. Um, so that's, that's a really a, a, a big part of it. And I think it really depends on the role. So I think um, if you are hiring salespeople, and I think we probably have 200-ish salespeople right now, so 250 maybe, um, I don't expect the CRO to interview every single one of them. Just to, If you just do the math of how many interviews they're going to have to make, it's not going to count up. But if you have a unique role, um, not necessarily just a very senior role, office manager, right, the IT person, a, a very specific role, that one we, we pretty much insist that, It's being interviewed by very senior people just to make sure that there's alignment. It's very inconvenient to replace those people. I mean, for them, for us, for the company. Um, So, unique roles tend to get more attention than the seventh role in in the exact same team or or group. But we still try, we still keep a very relatively senior leadership that interviews people until the last interview.
0: So, Elon, you talk about kind of like a mechanism of how you do it. But, you know, in our first conversation, uh, we started talking talk about gong scale. And you said, wait, before we talk about gong scale and, you know, one of the biggest challenges is to figure out how to build the right kind of management structure internally. And let's walk through that. What did you guys build internally to enable this kind of scale and growth in your company?
1: Uh, it's going to be a cliche a little bit, but it, it all comes <laughs> down to people. Um, and, you know, when you start, when Amit and I were starting, Amit comes from, he, he used to be an engineer, but in, in a recent couple of decades or many decades, I don't know, he's been uh, sales and marketing. So he basically, and, and I do, I did product and engineering many for many years. So he's asked me, what do you prefer, product and engineering? And I asked him, what do you prefer, sales or marketing? And we we're all joking. So I think initially kind of he took two, I took two. And over time you replace each. So I, I, I we hired a, a chief engineering officer, replaced my, most of my role. And he, of course, very early hired a marketing, a chief marketing officer, and then a chief revenue officer. So it's all about, eventually it splits, and then it becomes more proficient. I was chief finance officer and people officer and so on. But I think as long as you trust the leaders and you sort of build a cohesive uh, management team, uh, I, I think from that point on, each, each leader can really build their team. Um, it's about hiring the people and also hiring people at the right stage. So I'll give you a couple of examples. Like when you, we started, we hiring a VP of sales, and their role was to get it from $1 million to $10 million to 10000000 dollars he's still with us and he keeps joking. It's like, you made me get to $10 million and then of course we're like way, way, way over that. Uh, and then at some stage we're like, hey, we, we love you, but it's it's we, you haven't had the experience of scaling to a billion dollars, even a hundred million dollars. So then we brought somebody else who can scale us from um, 10 to 100. And then later on, we brought somebody, a president who could scale us from a hundred to a billion and that's fine. But if we had brought the same people that we brought later, earlier in the game, they would probably have gotten lost in the uh, in the details. Um, so it's part of the evolution of the company is also at some stage kind of find people who can take you maybe a couple of steps. And as you kind of walk those couple of steps, find people who can take you the next few steps.
2: Yeah, I can definitely relate to that. You know, when when you're building a company, obviously a good friend of mine told me once that when you're starting a company, it's very difficult to imagine that one day it will be a real big company, because there's so much in between. And a lot of founders that I meet are kind of thinking, well, I want to hire a CFO that can take us public. Dude, you're making 20 million. You're far from going public. You don't need a CFO to take you public. You need someone that wants to roll their sleeves and actually get the work done. So I think it's super important at those stages of the company to find not the best person possible, but the right person for the stage of the company is critical. Um, I, I heard you use kind of a, a phrase that it's important to institutionalize the behavior that you like when you hire uh, um, employees or, or partners, however you want to call them. And um, if you want to create the right corporate s- uh, culture, who gets to say what is like you? Is it everyone? Because you know maybe you and I are not the same. Or is it that you assume that because you hired, well, theoretically hired me, that I will hire people who are like me, which would mean that they're like you.
1: Yeah, so uh, we have very strong operating principles, which I mentioned before. And the way we came up with them is um, initially it's like it's contagious, right? People look at the founders and then very often they kind of like, well, first of all, they come in if they like the the behaviors and then they kind of mimic some of those behaviors. I think when we were like 60, 70, 80 people, what we did is we split people into groups and we used Post-it notes. And we asked everybody, could you please write down five, six, four, three, eight, however many things that you like about how Gong behaves. And then each team basically put them against the wall uh, and then we cluster them. And what happened was, hey, many people said, hey, raving fans, our customers like us. And actually, we insist on on customers liking us. We don't take customers if if we don't think they're going to get impact or uh, favor the long term. They notice we all make like long term decisions, like how that was one, et cetera, et cetera. And then we came up with those eventually eight principles. And what was nice about it is we did it like three or four groups in two different continents. And there was like 80% overlap between what people came up with. So when we're small, we're still very coherent. We actually did the same exercise right now for what we call leadership principles, which is... Um, what do you expect from leaders, right? Because now we have 100-ish leaders, more. Uh, So we said, hey, let's, uh, we did it a while back. So um, let's kind of do the same for leaders. And we asked people, what do you like about our leaders? And they came up with things like, hey, they coach the people, they empower them versus, for example, tell them what to do. Um, And it was, again, it was very, very common between the different teams, uh, which means there is some culture and you just try to replicate it. I think the key is to keep it practical versus inspirational. So you're not going to find things in in the uh, operating principles that are like, oh, uh, we're frugal. I don't know if we're frugal. I guess nobody said that, so we should be saying, or for leadership, be data driven. know, I was I was actually disappointed that nobody put as a leadership principles be data driven. And you know what? I guess we are not, because <laughs> if we were, people would have put this. And but it is what it is. Like we don't, we're not like Brad Pitts, and you know, we're not. Pretty in every like something we do well and something we do we we don't do well and I think the idea is replicate the stuff that you do well and maybe try to improve on the other things, and but don't try to do something you're not because that's not going to be successful.
2: Wait, I'm still hung up on you. Just said, Brett, Pete, Pete is pretty.
0: I Pretty, I don't know.
2: I think I heard that.
0: Elon, I want to ask you, you know, because you say we want to keep it practical. And of course, everyone knows the principles that, you know, AWS has two slides of pizza for like a meeting and, and all that kind of things that they have there. Is it for the sake of having kind of, you know, having it? These principles or are they really incorporated in your everyday life from the way you manage uh, people, from the way you manage meetings, for how you do kind of a review to one another? Because if it's that critical, the culture, do you also maybe let go of people um, that are not fitting into that culture after a number of weeks, months, whatever, uh, into the role?
1: A hundred percent. If it's not incorporated then it's just like uh, posters on the wall. And I think Enron had those like uh, posters on the wall saying, be honest or whatever, right? um it's incorporated in your everyday life so you're going to hear engineers saying i don't think that's going to be a raving fans experience if we implemented it this way Uh, and and you're going to hear people saying hey don't work over the weekend Uh, we're here to enjoy the ride Um, and certainly favor the long term is is again uh, in in your everyday decisions like yeah we're going to favor the the long term or things like act now so we would maybe have a 20 minute discussion and, and after 20 minutes we're like hey let's act now what is the decision? Let's make forward. So each one of them, you don't have to. Some companies are very slow in decision-making. It doesn't make it good or bad. Enjoying the right Amazon. You mentioned Amazon. I don't think they haven't enjoyed the right principle. You know, I probably don't think it's fun to work at Amazon. I don't think their employees think it's fun to work at Amazon, but they're very successful, much more than Gong. So I don't think, at this stage at least. So I, I, I don't think it's like you have to do be everything, but you pick your own path, right? Uh, I, I usually joke, you know, a giraffe has a very long neck. And when the elephant looks, they're like, okay, why do you need a, 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 such a long neck? I, I have other things that I can, uh, you know. So, every animal is different. Everybody lives in the savannah. Everybody <laughs> picks their own uh, color and frame and whatnot. So.
0: Do you recommend most companies to come up with these kind of principles? Do you see it as, as something powerful that, you know, makes people engage and stay, impacting retention? At,
1: when you're growing and, and when you're scaling, absolutely. Because at some stage, the founders, no matter how much they try, they can't, like, work with every single person. So above 60, 80, 100, I don't know what the number is. Yeah, definitely try to codify. At every stage, you wanna codify some of the behaviors. You don't wanna codify everything in the beginning. It's like, hey, you're two founders, we're gonna be blah, 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 because you know you have no idea. You're just like two people, right? Um, but whenever you go to a size where the personal relationships are not as dominant as they are in a family or uh, whatnot, a class in, in, in middle school, um, then, the go yeah, I think we should you should kind of put together some of the principles. And again, it's, these are not the practices. This is not like, oh, you want to have four interviews and then another interview. It's more like, what are the principles that are going to guide you in decision making? Because you cannot pre-think of all of the things that are going to come up along the way. And we definitely would, would let people go if they don't fit the this, these pieces of the culture, absolutely.
2: It's, it's an interesting segue because, you know, startups are a wild ride and, you know, the ups and downs are tremendous. Um, I don't think there was a time in history, though, where in a period of about I don't know, 30 months, uh, we're seeing almost two black swans. First, the the the, the pandemic showing up, and now obviously what's what's happening in the public market. I did almost all our interviews over the last uh, few weeks, and obviously something's materially changed in in the atmosphere. Gong is not yet publicly traded, but we're seeing very successful publicly traded company that's been slashed 60, 70, 80 percent, which is impacting. I don't buy that you know employees don't care about the stock price employees care about stock price um, how is that impacting an atmosphere in a privately held super successful company highly valued uh, with high expectations
1: well first of all i so much um, enjoy the fact that we did not go public Um, (laughs) because i I mean i mean you said it i mean you're gonna work with a company that's public but i think it's like you come to work you make you have a very successful project you have such a big impact and then you come back home, the stock is down 4%, four unrelated to what you do, and you're like, oh, bummer, that was a bad day, which is horrible. It's like, you know, you had a great day, but you cannot just not look at the stock. So I don't, I, like, if if and when, whatever, we, we go public, I, I don't know how to work around this. I think, unfortunately, public is something many companies eventually end up being because it's uh, there's many other benefits. Um, I think in the private sector, you don't see it as much. I'm, I'm 100% sure people are like, okay, what's happening with my, my stock? But it's like, what's happening with my apartment value, right? It, you can think about it since there's not much you can do about it. Uh, what if I sold my car today? Well, I don't know. You don't know. We're not going to spend too much time on it. So I, I think most people don't spend too much time thinking about it. They probably think about it when they come in. So we kind of give them a stock option and then, oh, remember, now it's RCUs, whatever, a stock plan. We explain to them what it means given this current state of environment. And they probably think it once every year when they get some some sort of, uh, you know, additional grant and they're like, okay, what is it worth now? and will my previous thing work? And I hope they just forget about it after a couple of days. I think they do, but, you know, I,
2: I, don't, I don't know.
1: I, I don't think about it every
2: day. I have no idea what, what I would have. <laughs> <laughs> um, and so as you're continuing this growth trajectory, and I hope you guys are going to continue to grow. Obviously, it's become super difficult to keep growing in the same numbers because numbers are getting bigger. So, you know, multi X uh, is always becoming more a challenge, but you are continuing with hyper growth. What is the main challenge? You're looking into the next, I don't know, 12 to 24 months. I don't know, five years. It's too long, but to 12 to 24 months, what is the main challenge?
1: I think it's both. well. First of all, there is the uh, economic climate that is like nobody knows where it's going, so that's always a challenge. Like, but that's out of your control through, anyway. Yeah, it's my and you know it's like I've been through two thousand one, two thousand nine. It's like yet another one. It's you
2: know whatever. It's just like I don't know. So I'd, I'd love to pick your brain. and Sorry to cut you off, but it's an interesting one because we're similar age. I'm seventy five born, so I've been there in the two thousand crisis, two thousand eight. You know, and and the last two sw- uh, black swans, and. One of the things that I'm seeing, and you know, there's a lot of chatter, obviously, uh, with employees over the last, I don't know, three, four, five months since we started the downturn. And and I think one of the biggest challenges is that, you know, we've seen it. Markets go down, markets go up. We're in the longest run of an up market, I think, that happened in the last 50 years. Like 15 years that people saw stocks only going up. Every And I think about it, you know, a 24, 25-year-old going into uh, um, tech in 2000. Seven two thousand eight has only seen prices going up. Now they're in the forties, early forties, and it's like, what? I don't understand this. This is a math I haven't, I've never seen before. How can stock go down? And that has a negative effect. So look, the
1: the part of the benefit, you know, I mentioned to you that I always recommend to people to start with the second startup. Um, part of the uh, <laughs> advantage of I Amit mean, is 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 a veteran. I'm a veteran, so I think that the benefit of this is also. I think we've been pretty consistent in, in communicating this to people from day one every single one of my interviews when I give big people an offer it was like hey this is what this stock is going to be it, it was worth right now but guess what it could go down it could go up this is stock right so did they listen i don't know but every single company conversation is like hey we raised money at the 7 billion dollar valuation you know why we're raising money because the market at some stage is going to go down we don't know when it's going to go down but it will and so we want to have money in the bank so i think if you hear it consistently i think gangsters who've been around kind of know this stuff also i think we are I would wanna say reasonably or relatively unique in that we also don't spray money around. We don't have wild parties. We didn't go to Guatemala. We didn't like, uh, I don't know, we don't like uh, do the fancy uh, uh, parties and whatnot. We didn't bring DJs in and and, and other things. Um, So I think we also try to kind of communicate that, you know, this this is, in, in the end of the day, it's business. It's gotta be sustainable business. It's gotta be, I don't wanna say profitable because, you know, we're not profitable. We can be profitable at our higher growth rate, but it's gotta be financially viable. Um, a business and, and you want to keep your heads uh, down and, and get work done. It's not like a big wild party that, that that's going to stay forever. So hopefully many of the Gongsters are bought into this. You know, they're around. So hopefully they're bought into this.
2: By the way, kudos to you. I really, um, I completely agree and feel that they're more financially aware and responsible. I think something has, you know, swung way to the right over the last two, three years and turned this into, you know, uh, um the industry into more of a club med than the actual industry when you're building something. Um, and so I think more responsible, hey, this is a business, we're building a business. This is not summer camp. Um, so congrats on having the ability to spray money and not doing so.
1: Yeah, look, the, I, meet, I meet my part, I mean, we're not gonna go IPO anytime soon. So I mean, this is, I'm talking IPO and like, so somebody asked meet one day, so I mean, if you go IPO, what are, you know, how are you gonna party? He's like, I will still consider if I actually make it to the uh, IPO you know, happening. Or maybe i stay in israel because i don't like the celebration so i think it's also a matter of like personal choices and personal styles. So.
0: as a millennial i'll back this up and say i appreciate it as well um and i think working at a company and you mentioned gongsters all the time and we're going to touch on that for for a second because you made up an entire i think kind of language or uh, dictionary at gong but um i think the notion that you know very young people that go into tech this is what they look for or this is what attracts or this is what will make them stay um, is absolutely wrong so I like that uh, kind of uh, agenda as well. So talk us a little bit about these gongsters. What does it mean? How do you put it out there? Uh, Do everyone become a gongster or you have to go through something or what does it mean?
1: Oh, you have to sort of go through a three mile, uh, you know, uh, crawling in the desert <laughs> or in the jungle. No, no I, the <laughs>
0: Israeli associate, you know, you, you go there you, without even wanting. Yeah.
1: Yeah. No, 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 no. So, um, so I don't think there's anything special in, in, our interview process or in our onboarding process. We have, we're trying to make raving fans of candidates, employees and people we don't expect, we try to uh, accept, sorry. Uh, we try to make raving fans out of like, you know, people who come in. So this is like who we are uh i I think in general there's nothing specific in the process i think there is something in the internal culture which is going to work it comes it stems from the operating principles as well it's like since we're so focused on making customers successful and another one is win as a team which is basically says you work as a team to make the customer successful and there's much less room for ego or personal opinions or i think this or my career is going to be better that it's we're all thinking together it's like what are we going to build that's going to make the customer successful if it's the building team product engineering and if it's the go-to-market team, is how can we actually um, make an impact with the customer? It's not how can we sell them more, it's how can we can create more impact. So if you kind of trace this back to the way people behave in the company, you're going to see meetings that are all about, is this feature going to make an impact? Is this customer, does he really need, do they really need Gong? And it's created a, a somewhat of a unique discussion area where it's like, hey, this is my thing. I think I should be doing this because I'm going to get a bigger team, but more like, the language is a little bit different, but I don't think it's hundred percent unique, right? I think everybody's trying to do this. Sometimes, you know, y- y- you let egos in the way, and that I think is pretty bad.
0: I tried to tell to call everyone stokers at the beginning, but it didn't work as well as gongsters. <laughs> so yeah, that one failed. Yeah.
2: So uh, a long last question before I let you go, um, and we asked this all our interviewees: if you had one piece of advice to give out to any you know VP product or co-founder in um, in an early day startup, the first one or two years. Um, and they're building their team. They're thinking scale, obviously. What would that be? I don't think it's
1: going to be internally facing. It's probably going to be out outbound facing. And I think it's going to be, um, and by the way, I got similar advice when I started the company, when I asked for people. So I think it's going to be focused on making customers really, really happy. What we call rating fans. But again, forget the word. I think it, it, everything emanates from this. So um, I'll give an example. And Like right now, we launched a product a couple of weeks ago. And we didn't care about revenue goals. We didn't care about penetration goals. All we cared about is making sure there's a few dozen customers who get real impact from this. Because what we knew, and I think that's the advice to other people, if you have enough customers who who, who are impacted, and the customers, by the way, could also be consumers, users, but you know, I'm, I'm a B2B person, so I have no idea how consumer business works like. But I think eventually, if you get customers to be very, very happy, it's so much easier to go back and say, okay, I can find a pricing model. I can build a product team that delivers this value. I can I can scale a team in a way that provides more value. If you sort of go by this step, like, oh, the customer bought, that's fine. Or I got to my revenue numbers. There's so much left behind that then you sort of need to fix as you build a team. Um, that is sometimes um, even impossible to do. So, so that's the one thing, focus on this. It's also financially good because all businesses nowadays are our like renewal businesses. So if you have too much churn, you're just gonna have to sell more and more and more. So also practically, but it's so the practical aspect, it's also the, the how it kind of paves the way for many other things to happen.
0: Is that in any price? You know, in the beginning, you want to make your customers happy. Each customer will be happy from different features, from different products, from different... Uh, so how do you balance out between making sure that, you know, they're raving fans eventually and, and choosing the path to, to which to fit?
1: Yeah, yeah uh, raving fans and, and happy customers doesn't mean you do everything you ask for because they cannot be raving fans if the company is a failure, right? So I think first mm-hmm. of all you got to make the company successful. So I think it, it's all about building the things that are right for for yeah for the market eventually, um, but working with them to make sure that they're happy. I mean, for maybe I mean we had one of our first enterprise customers, a customer who called us mm-hmm. and wanted to have integration with some system. And well, we're not ready. And They're like, can you make it ready? It's like, sure, we'll call you when we can make, we can make it ready. And we called them in nine nine months later. And the guy was super excited. He was like, finally, I get the vendor who tells me no. <laughs> and then tells me yes, whenever they're ready versus trying to sell me. This my French shit. And they became they one of our largest customers, seven figure uh, annual contract. And I don't think there's any harm in this. It's just yeah, you have to be more disciplined about how you operate that's all.
2: Yeah, I think the key here, um, you get raving fans by having frank conversations and turning your early adopters into partners. They're part of the success. They're working with you. They're cheering for you. I mean, our early customers at Stoke, uh, you know, we had, you know, you you start with an MVP, more things are broken and actually working in the beginning. But you build this relationship where they feel they have a stake in your success because that's the early adopters. By the way, it's true for early adopters in any space, not just an hour, the the first buyers of the first iPhone that didn't support 3G (laughs) were there to help make a better iPhone. That was part of what their, you know, their pride in, in making it successful. Um, and you know that, that's my advice turn them into partners don't try to sell them no one cares about the revenue in the first few quarters anyway it's about getting enough feedback and to get that feedback and to get that positive momentum you know get people that want to see you succeed and so long, we've taken enough of you know um, a co-founder of a, a 7 plus billion dollar company and I think you got, you got plenty to do uh, so uh, thank you so much for having this this was fun I had a really great time this was great chatting Elon. with you um, and to all our listeners out there, don't forget to subscribe uh, so you only don't know when the next episode drops blow. Uh We're already excited for our next episode on how I scale my team, Elon Russia. Thank you so much. take care.
0: Thank you so much, Elon. Thank you for inviting me. That was fun.